Each week, we examine the stadium beat from every angle. With athletes like Fred Lynn. The Green Monster, they call it that for a reason. About 12 foot of it from the ground to about 12 foot up was concrete. And if you hit that, I mean, it would just tear your skin off. Joe Theismann. What a great idea this is to be able to talk about the hallowed structures that exist today. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. Pittsburgh's PNC Park, home of the Pittsburgh Pirates, gets tremendous reviews from just about everyone who visits the stadium. Joe Sheehan is most certainly among them. Joe's the highly regarded baseball writer who takes a deep dive into Major League Baseball, the former editor of the Baseball Prospectus, and he contributes to Sports Illustrated and ESPN. This week, Joe tells us why PNC Park is so special, and he shares some of his other favorite stadiums. Later, we'll visit with the man who, for 19 years, held the best seat in Dodgers Stadium, official scorer Don Hartack. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran says, Go West, young man, with a flurry of stadium stories focusing on the Raiders, A's, and Rams. But first, the stadiums beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, meetings this week in Las Vegas focused on sites and funding for a potential dome stadium to attract the Oakland Raiders. The governor of Nevada has extended the deadline until September 30th for final recommendations for a stadium site. Right now, nine different locations are being examined. Las Vegas Commissioner Steve Sisolak told KLAS... It's time to get serious about a site. Some of the sites aren't real close to the strip, and we need to say, look, this is disqualified for this reason or that reason. I think we're trying to keep everybody happy and include all the sites in here when they're really not realistic to keep including them. Andy Abowd with the Sands Corporation says the governor extending the deadline allows time to assemble a workable plan. Well, what we need is a package in place so that there is a financial package approved by the legislature in time for the January meeting of the NFL owners so they can vote to relocate the Oakland Raiders to Las Vegas Nevada. The Sands, along with Majestic Realty and the Raiders, are partners in the public-private agreement. Current price tag on the stadium ranges from $1.7 to $2.1 billion. Well, six hours was all it took for the Los Angeles Rams to run out of season tickets. In an email sent to deposit holders this week, the Rams said the allotment of 70,000 season tickets are all sold. Those who failed in obtaining the season pass will have the option to buy a total of eight single-game tickets, which can be spread out across the schedule based on availability. The Rams are setting home stadium capacity at the L.A. Coliseum at 80,000, and their home opener is set for September 18th against Seattle. The family of a man killed outside Arrowhead Stadium is suing the Kansas City Chiefs. In December of 2013, Kyle Van Winkle was beaten to death in the stadium parking lot. The family is claiming the assault occurred due to a lack of adequate security. Van Winkle had left the game early and returned to the parking lot and accidentally got into the wrong car. When the owner returned, a scuffle ensued that led to Van Winkle's death. Joshua Bradley has previously pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter. He was sentenced to five years probation. 
A potential arena involving the NHL's Arizona Coyotes and Arizona State University remains a viable option. The Phoenix Business Journal reports the arena could be part of a larger development adjacent to Arizona State's main campus. The Coyotes are also looking at a possible arena site in Scottsdale. Los Angeles sports arena history was up for sale this week. Hockey nets, a scoreboard, seats, and even urinals were auctioned off. The former home of the Clippers, Kings, and USC basketball is slated for demolition. And to baseball, where Commissioner Rob Manfred says he remains committed to Oakland as a site for a new A's ballpark. Speaking at this week's All-Star Game, Manfred said Oakland remains a solid baseball market. He has previously stated Major League Baseball will hold off on any expansion talk until stadium deals are secured for the A's and Tampa Bay Rays. Bill, that is the very latest. Thanks, Jeff. If you've been to PNC Park in Pittsburgh, you've had a special experience. Joe Sheehan has been at that baseball park. He is a founding member of the Baseball Prospectus, uh, contributor to Sports Illustrated and ESPN. And you may have also seen his work on the MLB Network. Joe's baseball information, the Joe Sheehan Newsletter, is where insiders go to get the most comprehensive and detailed look at everything associated with Major League Baseball. It's a real pleasure to have him with us. Joe, uh, recently you spent a wonderful weekend in Pittsburgh, and you detailed that in a very well-written piece. I wish you would share some of that with us. Uh, Obviously, this park made a very, very strong impression on you. Why? You know, I've been wanting to get there for years. Uh, there's a there's an iconic shot that they'll do from behind home plate where you can see the city and the Roberto Clemente Bridge, and I'd had that stuck in my head for oh so many years. And I finally had the opportunity to go down there. There was a good weekend to get down there, catch a couple of games, actually. You know, I, I knew about the park. I'd been reading about the park for years. I'd gone to this great site called Ballpark Nerd that kind of gave you all the tips on what to do down in Pittsburgh. I wasn't terribly familiar with the city either. It wasn't just about the game and, and it was, I got a couple of great games and, and the yard was great, but that moment of walking across the bridge and, 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 and that feeling of community where you walk across the bridge with everybody else going to the ball game and then actually sitting in those seats and looking out and seeing that view that I've been seeing for 15 years. It was really everything I could have hoped for. A lot of things don't hold up when you go to new ballparks. Pittsburgh, to me, PNC Park was everything I could have expected. Yeah, you know, and it's so unusual to go ahead and access a ballpark in that way. And, of course, Pittsburgh has the three rivers, and that one on the that kind of circles the north side and wraps right around the skyline. The hotel, for many people, is just on the other side of the river. So it's a perfect walk over the beautiful river, and there's the ballpark. Park. It's really something unusual. Yeah, and I, I like parks like that that are kind of feel like they're part of the community. I grew up going to Yankee Stadium, which you approached on subway, but it was that same feeling of, hey, we're all going to the ball game today. You get out, everybody walks into the yard. You go back into the, the middle of the 20th century, and that's how pretty much all ballparks were accessed. You walk to a ballpark in the neighborhood. Then, of course, we had that trend in the 1960s of building ballparks kind of in the suburbs or everything was simply ringed by parking lots. 
And in the 1990s, we kind of circled back to this more community ballpark atmosphere. And I think about the experience of walking to Fenway or taking the L to Wrigley, taking the L to Comiskey, walking to Camden Yards. These, to me, are the, the, the best ballparks, the ones I've most enjoyed going to. The only comparable uh, parking lot stadium, to use that expression, would be Dodger Stadium. I really do enjoy Dodger Stadium. I spent a lot of years in Los Angeles. It's the one ballpark that you actually drive to, but still gives you that classic ballpark feeling. You walk over a bridge in which the community chose to make a statement about their love for Roberto Clemente. Also, that right field wall is also another statement of the love that they have for him. You spoke extensively to that wall and the nature of it and how short that right field porch is. Uh, I'd like you to speak to that and, and how, as a person visiting the park, for the the first time you didn't have any trouble getting that message i presume obviously i gotta be honest with you i didn't realize how short that porch was you think about short mm-hmm. porches and other ballparks around the country and it, it wasn't necessarily the crawford boxes in houston but you know matt holiday hit a pop-up to right field that you know, okay it's a flatter no wait it keeps mm-hmm. going it's oh matt holiday just did that opposite field home run and then he hit basically the same ball on sunday and it really was interesting how differently the park played to right field especially as opposed to left and left center where, you know, I got to watch Starling Marte make a number of difficult plays in the gap, uh, just showing his, the, the center field range that he actually has. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like parks like that. I mean, again, it was great to watch baseball in that type of environment. When I started going to baseball parks, you got your ticket and you walked in. It was that simple. There was nothing in between that. Today, of course, it is more of a gauntlet drill. And you went into this and how it affected the mood for you a little bit in terms of the security measures. Can you speak to that? I know you didn't like it very much. I don't. And that's, I mean, that's a political argument. We don't really need to get into that here. But mm-hmm. I just, uh, I'm not a big fan of the use of metal detectors at the, at the ballparks. I understand baseball's rationale for doing it, but uh, the connection between these, uh, these security measures and actual security seems to be pretty thin. We've been talking about this as a nation for 15 years now, more specifically when it comes to airports. But it does take you out of the moment. You've come over the bridge. Um, there's a, a street alongside the, the ballpark, kind of a fan fest type area. You turn to go into the ballpark and all of a sudden you're taking your keys out of your pocket and getting wanded down or going through the detectors. And it just, I mean, it happens at every ballpark now. You know, I was at City a couple of days later. I was at Yankee a couple of days after that. But it does detract from the whole experience. I'm not sure we're going to be able to get away from that given the state of the world these days. But, um, it's an intrusion on the experience of entering a ballpark. It takes some of the romance out of it for me. Joe, you travel extensively. You've seen an awful lot of ballparks as you get around to various major league locations. Tell us about some that you like the most and that really stand out and, and that really wedge into your memory where you know they're always going to be there. Well, for me, the off the off the list completely is the uh, second iteration of Yankee Stadium, the one from '76 to 2008. That's always going to be. It's where I grew up. Basically, I would go mm-hmm. to 20, 30 games a summer. Um, it was home. And nothing's ever going to feel the way walking into that ballpark felt like showing up when the gates would open and getting there, hoping, hoping to catch the end of Yankees batting practice and being there for the visitors batting practice and keeping score. That was where I lived. So you got to put that in a separate category. As far as ballparks still today, you know, it's a cliche, but I can still remember the first time I saw the field at Wrigley. I can still remember the first time I saw the field at Fenway. Those two for me, those classic, beautiful ballparks with the green and the brown and the lines and the city. It's just, They'll still mean something to me. Uh, as far as the newer class, you know, I mentioned PNC is on that list. Camden Yards for me is is slightly ahead of it. Uh, everything about Camden Yards lived up to the hype. 
access, the game experience, the crowd, Boogs. Boogs is one of those things that you, you think it's not going to, you know, you could not possibly live up to the hype, and it lives up to the hype. It's the best ballpark-specific food I've had at a ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I mentioned Dodger Stadium earlier. I lived in L.A. for a long time. The seats in the upper deck behind home plate behind Dodger Stadium are a tremendous place to watch a ball game. They're usually very cheap. And on those rare, clear L.A. days, you get this gorgeous view of downtown. So, you know, mm-hmm. everything's different. People, I think a lot of this is personal. Where did you grow up? Where did you have your youth? What teams did you root for? But for me, you, know, you take Yankee Stadium out of it. You talk about Fenway. You talk about Wrigley. You talk about Camden. And now I talk about PNC. Joe, tell us about your newsletter. And uh, I think fans would like to know more about it and perhaps how they can have an opportunity to look at it themselves. Sure. I published the Joe Sheehan Baseball Newsletter. I have since 2012. Uh, in addition to my work for Sports Illustrated and The Athletic in Chicago, it's an email product. It gets sent out three to five times a week, you know, more during the playoffs, a little less in the off season. I end up writing about 200,000, 250,000 words a year. Wow. It costs thirty four ninety five a year, uh, fifty nine ninety five for two years. You can get the information at joesheehan.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at joe underscore sheehan, where you get a sense of the stuff I write about. We wish you well, and uh, good luck on your next 250,000 words. Appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Once again, we talk shop and we welcome in Mark Madoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website. And let's remind you, Stadiums USA is the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. Check it out and you'll find out for yourself exactly what we mean at stadiumsusa.com. Well, Mark, a meeting being held this week to discuss potential sites for a new Raiders stadium in Las Vegas. And we've been reporting a lot about this. What's the latest news on it? Well, lots of activity on the Las Vegas front this week, looking for a new potential home for the Oakland Raiders. Now, the search has expanded. They're up to nine potential sites, Bill. Second big change, the price. <laughs> of mm. course, the price has gone from $1.4 billion to an estimated $2.1 billion. Uh, increases due in part because of the cost of land acquisition they think is going to end up being higher than they have budgeted. And secondly, the design will probably include a retractable dome, which is quite expensive to build mm-hmm. in contrast to a fixed dome or an open-air stadium. Oakland Raiders owner Mark Davis definitely prefers the design with a retractable dome. Uh, There are now nine sites, including the airport site that we've discussed extensively in the past. That's that 42-acre site across from the airport that Southwest Airlines uh, wrote the letter to object to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other sites included a 65-acre site further east on Tropicana that's on the UNLV campus. That's a good possibility. Uh, There's a 100-acre site west on Tropicana just off Interstate 15, and that's a possible as well. A 47-acre site, formerly the home of the Riviera Hotel, is being considered. There's a 35-acre site called Rock and Rio grounds that are uh, a festival grounds that uh, could be used. Mm-hmm. There are a few other miscellaneous sites around Las Vegas as well, but it's going to take quite a while to do 
the workup on each of the sites. So the governor has extended the time for the tourism committee to turn in a final recommendation on where they think is the best site for this Raiders Dome. Yeah, they're going to really want to come up with a great proposal, Mark, because Oakland is still in the running to keep them, and they're going to do everything they can to try to keep the Raiders in town. And what are they up to there? Well, after months of relative inaction, the city of Oakland's finally making some progress in attempting to keep the Raiders in town. The city of Oakland is interested in buying land from the county. Also, the real estate group fronted by Ronnie Lott, we've talked about them in the past, uh, they're still working on their deal. Uh, it appears now they intend to borrow money from a hedge fund, which is an expensive and somewhat risky course of action. Um, the group has offered Mark Davis $200 million for 20% ownership of the Raiders. But that proposal was not accepted very well. As a matter of fact, uh, it was frowned upon by Mark Davis because uh, $200 million for 20% would put the Raiders at a value of $1 billion. Mm -hmm. And uh, most people figure the Raiders are worth at least $1.5 billion, probably closer to $2 billion. The Raiders really would like to stay in Oakland, but I don't think they have any choice but to consider Las Vegas as a reasonable alternative at this point because Oakland's just not gotten anything done. Mark, let's go ahead and stick with Oakland, but this time talk about the other tenant in that stadium, and that's the baseball team, the Oakland A's, where Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred spoke about them and the situation in Oakland before this week's All-Star Game, among many topics that he fielded, turned out to be the possibility of a new ballpark for the A's. And where did Manfred stand on that? Well, Commissioner Manfred wants to see an expansion of Major League Baseball, but he said it has to be on the back burner for now. There are two big hurdles that need to be jumped before adding new franchises. The stadiums in Oakland and St. Petersburg absolutely need to be replaced. Manfred is committed to Oakland as a community, but he stressed the need for a new venue. Uh, both these facilities, Oakland and St. Petersburg, are rated as the two worst, the 29th and 30th, in uh, recent reviews of Major League Baseball venues. The A's are working together to put a plan for a new stadium together, but uh, they are not paying attention to what's going on with the Raiders at this point, even though they share the venue right now. Uh, they really are looking to proceed without the Raiders and to look at a new venue. So they need to get out of Oakland. It's outmoded. There's too much foul ground. The plumbing is an issue. And uh, I don't really think they like sharing it uh, with the Raiders at all. We're staying on the West Coast, Mark. Season tickets for the Los Angeles Rams may be an early indicator of just how thirsty the city of L.A. is for the return of professional football. And it might also be an early indicator of just how valuable the Rams franchise now is. How does that net out in terms of tickets? Well, if you're listening to us in the Los Angeles area and you were hoping to get one of the 70,000 season tickets that the Rams are selling, you're already too late. <laughs> they, they sold out in just six hours. It's yeah. kind of hard to believe. That many tickets gone, but they did sell out and there are none available. Now, there will be additional seats available in uh, general admission and uh, uh, game day seating, but there will not be any more season tickets sold. Obviously, there's a great interest in the Rams as they return to L.A. They played their last game in L.A. in 1994 when they were the home team, 
and uh, they were tenants of the L.A. Coliseum last in 1979. So, mm -hmm. by the way, the Rams are no strangers to changing cities. They started in what town, Bill? Cleveland. Cleveland. That's exactly yes. right. <laughs> they were the Cleveland Rams. The Cleveland Rams. <laughs> starting in 1937, and they didn't move to L.A. till after World War II in 1946. Oh, boy. I'd better be ready when we do this. I'll tell you this. That was a good curveball, but I managed to get a little little bit of a bat you on it. You back on it. Kept your hands <laughs> in position. That's that right. Wrong. I stayed back on it. Oh, very good. Mark, the L.A. sports arena is being mothballed. We stay in Los Angeles. I say we're definitely on the West Coast for this show. And, of course, the stadium's going to be torn down very soon. It's an iconic landmark and a lot of history, sports history and general history in there. And now I understand they're having an auction. They've been selling items at the L.A. Sports Arena. Take us inside this one. Okay, so many sports memorabilia items for sale. Seating, turnstiles, concession stands, scoreboard speakers, hockey goals, and lockers. <laughs> this is a, a very historic venue. They filmed Rocky One there. Hundreds of concerts with bands you've seen. Grateful Dead, Madonna, Michael Jackson, U2. Will Chamberlain played in this building. Mm -hmm. Lots of sports history. Lots of that uh, sports history memorabilia available for auction. And it comes down shortly and then they're going to make way for a new soccer stadium so be great to see how some of those items get distributed among sports fans will chamberlain oscar robertson jerry west elgin baylor all of the greats played in that building absolutely mark each week we take a look back on some of the significant dates in stadium and ballpark history y'all set take a swing at it here <laughs> this week in 1931, I was there, and overflow crowd attends the doubleheader at St. Louis Sportsman's Park between the Cardinals and the rival Cubs. More than 45,000 packed a 33,000-seat capacity ballpark. It was a special promotion day as farmers and town folk from across the Midwest attended the game. The umpires decided that the extra fans would have to be placed in the outfield with a rope separating them from the rest of the diamond. A special ground rule was introduced for the game. Any ball hit over the rope but not in the stance was declared a ground rule double. That's a strange one. Mm -hmm. 1949, baseball owners vote to build warning tracks in front of outfield fences at Major League ballparks. It's hard to imagine outfielders today running after balls with no warning track, but yeah. they did it before 1949. In 1979, Disco Demolition Night forces the White Sox to forfeit the second game of a doubleheader against the Tigers. Disco would never be the same, nor would Comiskey Park, for that matter. <laughs> this week in 1999, the Seattle Mariners play their first regular season game in the new Safeco Field. And that's it this week for Stadium History. Very good, Mark. And uh, we thank you and have a good week. We'll see you next week. Enjoy the summer, Bill. The life of an official scorer at the ballpark. We're going to visit with longtime Dodgers scorer Don Hartack, who recounts his life in the press box. He has a few Vin Scully stories. This ought to be just great. We'll hear them coming up next. How 
would you like to have a job where you go to the ballpark, look at the mountains, between pitches that is, the beautiful, I believe it's San Gabriel's out there in the Los Angeles area at beautiful Dodger Stadium. Well, we're going to visit with a man who did that for 19 years and to this day is very much involved in sports. He works in the statistical area today. For 19 years, he held one of the most unique jobs in sports, and that was being the official scorer for the Los Angeles Dodgers. His name is Don Hartack, and if you've listened to broadcasts coming from L.A., you've often heard Don referred to, as is any official scorer, as the arbiter related to deciding whether a play is a base hit or whether it's an error. Uh, It's great to visit with you and, and tell us about what it's like to sit at the Catbird seat at beautiful Dodgers Stadium. Well, like you said, Bill, I mean, in between pitches, you have to be careful not to get distracted because on some <laughs> days, boy, uh, when the when the air is clear, which has been pretty good over the last few years, it's just a gorgeous sight. And when sunset sets over the mountains, you get some great colors. It's it's a beautiful stadium. And fortunately, they've kept the outfield stands at a level where you can still see beyond them and uh, see those hills out there. It's, what, five minutes from downtown? Less, maybe three mm-hmm. minutes from downtown. Yet you're sitting what looks like a completely rural area with the mountains and all kinds of things out there. So it's it's a unique place. The ballpark itself was always considered to be a pitcher's park, and uh, that's because it was very deep to the power alleys of the ballpark. Is that still the case in its current configuration? It's still a pitcher's park, although not quite as drastic as it used to be. I mean, one thing it used to have back in the 60s when Koufax and Drysdale were here was it was notoriously high mound. But then the baseball regula- started regulating all the mounds to make them have the same height and the same uh, angle. But reducing the foul ground helped the hitters a bit. The ball at night does not carry because of the we're fairly close to the ocean, within about 20 miles of the ocean, and the night air tends to be pretty heavy, and it holds, it reduces balls. In the daytime, the ball flies a little better. So I'd say now it's definitely still a pitcher's park, but not as drastic as like a Petco or AT&T or the one in Seattle, Safeco. Behind the uh, home plate area, this is a stadium, first stadium I ever saw that had five decks. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I I would think if you get off at the top, at the uh, very top level and sit down, uh, you might be fairly high up there. But perhaps I could be very surprised. That might be a very good seat. You've probably sat up there or looked at it one time or another. How is it at the top of the stadium? Well, it's funny, Bill, because uh, when I first started scoring for stats, uh, we, we would go to the parks, and I lived fairly close to the stadium. This is back in 1988, so I'm dating myself. But And I would purchase a ticket up there, A, because it was cheap, and two, because I can always see the field better if I'm behind the plate. I, I never mm-hmm. have liked, obviously, if you're down close on the sides, it's fine, but if you're up high or in the outfield, I can never tell what's going on myself. I, I, it's kind of like watching a golf shot. If you're behind it, you know where the ball went, but if not, you don't. And so I, I like it up there. It's kind of steep and it's high up, but you do get a great perspective from the seats, I believe, uh, for the top deck, they call it, and it's a very affordable seat, and it's actually a good view. 
at that ballpark, you rub elbows with some of the most celebrated baseball figures that you could ever want to imagine. The one that stands out in my mind, of course, is Vin Scully, the great broadcaster for the Dodgers for many years. I'm sure you've gotten to know him a little bit through the years. Uh, What's the experience of uh, being around him and working with him on a daily basis? Uh, Anything you can say about Vin Scully is almost as nice as he actually is. (laughs) He is the kindest, most respectful person. From the day I walked in there as a rookie Mm -hmm. uh, many years ago, right on through, it's been completely consistent. And another thing I try to get across, he kind of puts on almost, you know, he has like a broadcaster persona that everyone loves. Mm -hmm. He's actually uh, like cooler, hipper in person than he is on the air. I mean, he's a, Mm -hmm. he's a pretty, He's a pretty hep cat, for, especially for a guy in his mid-80s. Uh, and I've, I've had a couple times where he sat down at a table when, I, when me and some others were having a meal. Not necessarily one-on-one, but and he's just one of the guys. He, he likes to talk to the writers. He likes to hang out and chat about other things, and he's just a really great guy. Well, I'm sure it's a great experience, obviously. Today, and for a considerable period of time, you've been working with a company called Stats LLC. And for those of us within the industry, we're very familiar with this company. They do a lot of highly specialized statistical work. Don, what is the work that you do with Stats LLC? Well, you know, I started with Stats LLC in, in 1988 uh, as a stringer. I was, I was reading one of the Bill James baseball abstracts, if you're familiar with those, and Bill James is a great forerunner of all statistical things, baseball. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and he, there was, a, was just a small mention that there was this company that he was helping to start up, and they were looking for people to go to the ballpark and score games on this new way of keeping score. So I started doing that in 1988. We had the, one of the initial laptops that carried, and it was about 25 pounds. You know, <laughs> carried it around. And three of us shared it, and uh, we did. I think it was July of '88. We started up and we started scoring games. And I've been scoring games, and I'll be scoring a game a week from today at, at Dodger Stadium, doing the same thing as a live scorer. Well, I'll tell you, it's a great story, Don, and it's great to visit with you. It sounds like you're having a lot of fun. It sounds like you have found the profession that uh, is a perfect one for you. You're, uh, uh, you have a wonderful temperament for this, and that's pretty important, I think, in these kind of jobs. So we wish you well, a lot of continued success, and uh, uh, thanks for taking time to visit with us and kind of take us inside Dodger Stadium. That's a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much, Bill. It's been fun. Don Hartack, for years, the official scorer at Dodger Stadium and now involved with Stats LLC, a company he's been working with now for about 15 years. That's our program for this week. 